0: of Sermons by Pastor Charles St. Ange, LCMS Missionary in Montreal, Quebec, and the Caribbean. And Jesus asked them, But who do you say that I am? Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Back when I was a lot younger than I am now, in fact, I was just graduating from high school. I was the youth representative, one of the two, from the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Canada to their national youth event in the ELCA down in Dallas. And I'm used to like a youth gathering of 1,000, 1,200, 1,300 kids, and here I am with 32,000 Lutheran teenagers in Dallas, Texas. Good news, only one murder during the whole time, bus driver. But that was my introduction to big-time American events. And while I was there, one of the keynote speakers was Tony Campolo. And in one of his audiobooks, Tony Campolo is a Baptist Pentecostal preacher in the United States, Italian Baptist Pentecostal, talked about being a Sunday school teacher in the west side of Philadelphia, city in which I also served a number of years ago. Most of his students, as is typical for the west side of Philadelphia, were African Americans. He was the white guy. And one Sunday morning, he came in and saw that the picture of Jesus that had been up in the classroom had been taken down. The picture of Jesus was Solomon's very famous head of Christ, which many of you probably have somewhere in your home. Jesus kind of looking serenely off into the distance with the nice trimmed beard, the long flowing brown hair, brown eyes, white skin. And in its place was a picture of an African-American man with a cross, huge cross, around his neck. And Tony Campola said, I got really upset when I saw this, and I said, who took Jesus off the wall? is going to be here at the 1230 service, and she might be nodding along with that because we moved Jesus from the front to the back, and she was a little bit bothered by that. And this young African-American man said, I did. And Tony Campola said, Why would you put this black man up there instead? And the young man said, well, Jesus sure as heck wasn't white. I want you to think about that for a minute. And think about the picture that you carry in your mind of Jesus. How would you describe Jesus to someone? Who do you say that Jesus is? Now, here I'm talking about the physical description of Jesus, but it goes just as well for the character of Jesus, the motives of Jesus. What was Jesus all about? Was Jesus a socialist, capitalist, communist, democrat, monarchist, totalitarian? Was he an insurrectionist and a rebel as the Jewish authorities painted him at his trials? Or as Douglas Adams put it in one of his books, someone who just wanted people to be nice to each other for a change. Lutheran pastor Matt Richards recently wrote a book titled, Would the Real Jesus Please Stand Up? And I don't have time to get through the entire book today, but he had a list of what many people in North America, maybe some of you, say about Jesus, how they describe him, who Jesus is for them. For some, he is a mascot, like Yuppie. You guys remember Yuppie in the Expos? Now he's cheering on the Montreal Canadiens. That's what Jesus does, right? He's cheering us on from the sidelines. Not really a part of the team, but he's always there going, you, you go, Lingo, you, you go get the world there. Robert, you you just get out there. I'm right behind you, cheering you on. For other people, Jesus is the option among many. And certainly that would be a nice, easy path to take in Park Extension, where there are so many options of great religious and philosophical teachers. I follow Moses. I follow Muhammad. I follow the Buddha. I follow Jesus. The choice is yours. Or Jesus is the good teacher, the one who gives you the meaning of life, gives you a set of values, says, here's here's what you need to do. Here's who you're going to marry. Here's the kind of job you have to have. Here's the kind of behavior I expect from you as a son or a daughter or a mom or a dad or a neighbor or a coworker. Jesus, the therapist. Sounds like you're stuck on a plateau. Here, Here are two things that you can do to move forward this week. There are people that come to Jesus like that as their therapist. Or the giver of bling, which is becoming increasingly popular all around the world in Latin America, in Africa, and growing in the United States and even here in Canada. If you give your heart to Jesus, he'll give you your heart's desires. To bargain, you see. If I give my life to the Christ, he will give me a new Ferrari. And if the new Ferrari isn't parked outside my house, maybe I haven't given it enough to seal the deal. Jesus is the great patriot. Jesus is America, and so can you. Jesus is Canada. Jesus is Russia. He becomes a national folk hero of sorts. Or Jesus, the social justice warrior. Jesus came to rid the world of poverty and injustice. It's kind of too bad with all of his power that he didn't do it, if that was his goal. Or Jesus, the teddy bear. Ah, isn't Jesus just the best? He's so huggable and sweet. Are any of these who you think Jesus is? Are you tempted in any of these directions? And don't lie, because we all fall for one of them at some time or another, even me. I have my own temptations of who to think Jesus is. I'm partial to the social justice warrior, so I have to watch it. Or more accurately, I have to watch Jesus and listen to him, to not get deceived by sin or Satan or the world into making Jesus into who I want him to be instead of who he truly is. Christian songwriter Nicole Nordman keeps me on the straight and narrow. I was certain that I knew you, she wrote, at the tender age of 12. You'd so often been described by those who said they knew you well, dark and rugged in your 30s with a smile as bright as your robe. Every teacher, every preacher with the very best intent found new ways to hide the mystery replaced by common sense, and to know you was to hold you in my pocket. So easy to hold. It is not enough to just say, well, Jesus is the Christ. Peter knew that Jesus was the Christ, and seconds later demonstrated that he really didn't know that at all. Get behind me, Satan. You are following the will of man and not of God. So what does it mean to say Jesus is the Christ? that that is who he wants us to know him as. Christos in Greek. Meshiach in Hebrew, which should be translated as the anointed one. You are the anointed one, is what Peter said. Anointing with oil in the Old Testament set one apart for a very specific role. You were given a unique vocation amongst the people of God, that you alone, or you and your brothers could carry out. Kings, prophets, and priests, each of them were anointed for a specific job. When I took a group of high schoolers from Lutheran High North, where I was a volunteer chaplain, to a synagogue, we were doing one of these, you know, take people out to see different religious places of worship days. We talked to the rabbi, and he asked if we had any questions about Judaism. And, of course, one bright kid asked the question that everybody wants to know, right? Why don't you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Kids ask the boldest questions, don't they? How many of you would go up to a rabbi and say, hey, why don't you believe that Jesus is the Christ? So the rabbi looked at them and said, well, the thing is, Christ Messiah, anointed one, is a really heavy word, and really there were three different kinds of people that were anointed ones, prophets and priests and kings, and to say that Jesus is the Christ would imply that somehow he is all three of these. Unfortunately, Lutheran High North was populated by kids who had never had to study the small catechism, and so they missed the punchline of the joke, which is that's precisely what we teach you in the catechism, that Jesus is indeed prophet and priest and king. What is a prophet? Not one who predicts the future. Yes, sometimes that is what they do. But that would be like saying a prophet is a miracle worker. That's not the most important thing that they are about. The most important thing a prophet does is to speak the truth, even when it hurts, and suffer the consequences most of the time. What is a priest? A priest we talked about in our midweek service on Wednesday is one who reconciles us to the deities or deity. A priest is the one who stands in between people that cannot approach God and the God whom they cannot approach and reconciles the two together. And what is a king? We're fortunate that we're here in Canada or in the Cayman Islands where we can talk about kings and queens. A king is the one who commands our allegiance. The buck stops at the palace They decide when we go to war. They decide what laws become, what bills become laws. They decide who governs the country. So if Jesus is the Christ, if that is who we believe Jesus to be, then he is the only prophet, the only priest, and the only king. To say you are the Christ is to say we have no other prophet priest, or king, we forsake them all for the sake of this one man, Jesus of Nazareth. When I became a U.S. citizen a couple of decades ago, I had to stand up and make a pledge. True story was in Philadelphia. There were about maybe 30 or 40 of us in the room, of whom three of us were wearing shirts and ties. We're actually dressed up for the occasion. Everybody else, jeans, I don't know, polo shirts, whatever. It's Philadelphia, it's hot. Guess what? All three of us were Canadians. We kind of got the import of what it was that we were doing because we had to stand up and say, I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate state or sovereignty of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen. Now, they didn't spring those words on you, right? You had them in advance. You knew what it was that you were signing up for. It's like confirmation. We go through the entire confirmation, right, before we make you come up here and make the vows. So when I read that oath for the first time, I was greatly troubled at what I was being asked to say. And you know what troubled me? Was I renouncing Jesus? Was I renouncing Jesus by taking this oath? So I went to a pastor, American pastor, of course, and said, is that what I'm doing with this oath? And he said, no, Jesus isn't a foreign prince. He's local. Now, it was funny, but it sidestepped the whole issue, doesn't it? You should stop and ask yourself what you're doing when we make these pledges, right? If we take seriously saying, Jesus is the Christ. How casually do we, like Nicole Nordman, sidestep questions like this? But if we are going to answer, who do you say that I am, like Peter did, we have to be ready to accept all the consequences for that pledge. Jesus is not a mascot or a therapist, but the Christ. What does that mean? To stand on guard against remaking Jesus in our own image, making him who we want him to be, and not letting him speak for himself. And how do we let him speak? Every time we stand to listen to the Gospels to listen to the apostles and what they wrote in the New Testament, to then go to the Old Testament and see, as Jesus said, all of the accounts of Jesus being unfolded before he was even born of the Virgin Mary. We listen to Jesus and spend less time on the things Jesus says we like and more time praying about and reflecting on the things he says that we don't like. That's what it means to have Jesus as the Christ. Yaroslav Pelikan. Hard to talk about a statement like Jesus is the Christ without bringing him up. Some of you who are older and Slovak might even remember when his father was the president of the Slovak Evangelical Lutheran Church. Unfortunately, Yaroslav went on to become Eastern Orthodox because he was really, really into creeds. And nobody is into creeds and liturgy like the Eastern Orthodox. But in an interview a number of years ago on NPR in the United States, he was asked about this whole business of creeds. Why is Christianity so obsessed with explaining who do you say Jesus is? And what do we mean when we say Jesus is the Christ? And here's what he said. Wherever the message is preached and brought, in whatever language it comes from, the language it comes to and the culture into which it penetrates, must at some stage of its maturation learn to answer yet again the question, who do you say that I am? Because the you say in that question is the culture in which we live. Jesus isn't asking, who does the fourth century say that I am? when it was writing in Greek. That's important because without it, we wouldn't be where we are. But at some point, you have to be who and what you are in the only culture in which you're ever going to live, the only century in which you're ever going to live and die. And in that century, you have to answer with whatever linguistic and philosophical equipment you have, you have to answer the question, who do you say? that I am. The Gospels and Scriptures are crucial. The creeds are important, and the Book of Concord exceedingly helpful. But at the end of the day, the people in Montreal, in your neighborhoods, your neighbors and mine, your friends and family and mine, are not going to go to bookstores to learn who Jesus is. And they're certainly not going to get a decent answer from YouTube. They're going to learn it from you and me. That's how they're going to find out who Jesus truly is and what it means that Jesus is the Christ. We must be able to answer when someone asks, who do you say that Jesus is? And say, he is the Christ. He is the prophet who speaks the truth. He is the priest who redeems you from sin and has reconciled you to God and made you holy in your baptisms and feeds you with his body and blood. And he is our king, our true king, who rules all things and to whom we only owe allegiance. And we say this plainly, knowing that sin and Satan in the world will rally against us but knowing that we can take our firm and eternal stand on those words, Jesus is the Christ. In his strong name, amen. If you'd like to learn more, visit in intheway.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless your week.